0: of hold the space wellness i'm a level one crossfit trainer a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to baron camille please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes thanks for joining us we're so happy you're here Welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. This is Laura, and I am super excited this week to introduce to you a new friend and new guest on the podcast. Um, Her name is Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. So excited, and it's nice because you have your own podcast, so you know how this works, and I don't (laughs) have to do much explaining ahead of time. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Which is beautiful. And we'll talk more about that. But first, your bio. Um, Lisa Henderson-Jack is a certified fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycle for natural birth control conception and monitoring overall health. In her new book, The Fifth Vital Sign, Lisa debunks the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want children by recognizing the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, which is so cool. Drawing heavily from the current scientific literature, Lisa presents an evidence-based approach to fertility awareness and menstrual cycle optimization. She hosts the Fertility Friday podcast, a weekly radio show devoted to helping women connect to their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between menstrual cycle health, fertility, and overall health. So today we are going to talk all about that, about how the menstrual cycle is our fifth vital sign, which is something that I didn't realize till much later in life. And I wish I had learned it earlier, but I'm sure we'll dive into that um, and answer your questions. When You guys, when I posted about this interview on Instagram, I got so many questions, which I find to be incredible because it's showing a shift, I think, in the, um, the world of menstrual cycles. And now I believe, maybe it's just the circle I run in, but women are really starting to appreciate it and respect it versus dread it or loathe it. And um, so before we get into all that, I uh, I got ahead. <laughs> I want to know <laughs> icebreaker question, Lisa. What are you most excited about for twenty nineteen as we move towards that this new year?
1: Well, I mean, I'm definitely excited for the release of this book. I feel like it's um, it's just an interesting phase. I've been charting my own cycles for the you know nearly twenty years, and um, I've been kind of in this field. And it's what you were talking about. I. Um, I recently recorded an episode, like kind of like my year end, like kind of reflections from 2018. And one of the things that I really have been feeling this year is that energy around periods. As you were talking about, women are really starting to recognize the significance and and the importance of their cycles. And there's a, a definite shift in the energy. When I started 20 years ago, things were so different. There were no apps. I'm dating myself. I didn't have a cell phone, right? Like this was a long time ago and things were really different. And now um, it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's mainstream because it's definitely not, we're not there yet, but we're reaching, it feels like we're reaching a tipping point. So for 2019, I'm really excited about you know the book being released, but also I just feel like it the energy around this shift in the way that we're looking at our cycles is palpable. Mm-hmm. And I'm really like, I mean, that's kind of my contribution to this conversation that's been ongoing for the past nearly 20 years of my life. Uh, but I'm really excited to kind of see where we head from here. And so yes, the book and like there's other personal things, you know, my kids and my family that I'm looking forward to, but just in general, I'm really excited to see, what happens with all of this, all of these conversations that are happening about the menstrual cycle in 2019.
0: Yes. It's kind of like our magic power versus our dreaded time of the month. And I love that. I love the way you put it. I love the the speaking of like the shift and the energy. I think it's so incredible. And I'm, I'm so grateful for the work that you're putting into the world because it's so necessary. And so um, it really is going to make a huge difference, I think, in so many capacities, not just health, but mindset and female empowerment and just so many things. So thank you.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. <laughs> um,
0: okay, so before we dive into the meat of this, I would like to know a little bit more about you. Before we started recording, I started asking you questions, and I was like, maybe I'll save this. So can you tell us a little bit <laughs> about you yourself, your story, um, and how you found this passion to um, spread the word about this fifth vital sign?
1: Yes. Well, I mean, my I feel like my experience is kind of unique in that most, I mean, there's a lot of women that do discover fertility awareness at a young age. But in my experience, a lot of women are discovering it later in life. So in my case, I discovered fertility awareness when I was about 18 years old. It was in my first year of university. And it was really neat because there was all these cool, like, feministy women's topics. And we had a women's center, and they were always bringing in different speakers. So we went to a lot of interesting talks, like I would drag my roommates up to, with me to all of these talks about women's health and vaginas and whatnot. But there was one um, speaker. Her name is Inga Misio. She wrote the book Cunt, A Declaration of Independence. And I, I didn't even realize that. But yeah, her book came out right around the year 2000, I think it is. So she came to our university and did a talk. And I remember her saying something about how we, you know, we couldn't get pregnant on everyday cycles, And she had kind of figured that out because she was kind of reading a section of her book. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that. And I didn't realize it was a real thing. And so I, I literally like ran to the bookstore and got taking charge of your fertility. And I just happened to live in the, it's like kind of like the one place in the world where I had, there was a group of women on my university campus that had these monthly meetings where they were actually teaching charting. so. I was like in the Mecca of fertility where it is charting. Man, that is so, so uh, <laughs> cool. I think about
0: the trajectory of my life if I had learned that at 18 and how different things would be. I love my life, but it's just crazy to think about what a life-changing moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and so that that's kind of where it all started. And so within no time I was teaching, like I took a, a class class. Um, you know, with uh, the founder of (laughs) Justice, And I, so I received like a certification at that time. And then it kind of like, as they say, the rest is history. But um, I mean, that's where it all started for me. And when I started the podcast four years ago, it was around that time, like, I was in my early 30s. I, I Now I'm in my mid-30s, so it's not like it was that long ago. But in my early 30s, you know, that's when a lot of women are having kids. That's when your Facebook feed is, like, full of babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I started to realize that, you know, a lot of the women – Pretty much all of the women in my life, uh, except for the ones who were kind of around at that time, like all my close friends know all about fertility awareness, as you can imagine. But I really realized that the majority of women don't know anything about their cycles. And we still like trying to conceive for years and don't necessarily even know how ovulation works and cervical mucus and all that stuff. And at that point is when I felt compelled to really share, because I've been sitting on this for years. It's just a normal part of my life. And I felt compelled to, to bring that to more women. That's so cool. And, um, as
0: I mentioned, so needed and, and it's awesome because you're coming from a place of like true expertise and that you've, you've lived it for so many years that you have such a deep understanding. Now, when you first came into this, um, was there anything that surprised you about your own body and cycle that you had no idea about? Um, or was it kind of like, did you kind of get into it kind of like clockwork with your, with your cycle?
1: Oh, no, it was it an interesting process of kind of discovery, and all these layers kept unfolding. So I was young, and I was in the midst of this, like, feminist, female empowerment, sexuality is okay, blah, 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 like, that whole, like, you know, university, you could just picture this wide-eyed, like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like- right. And so when I started charting, I mean, that was when like I, you know, even in taking charge of your fertility, she shows you um, different cycles and how some cycles are short and how some cycles are long and all that kind of stuff. So I remember initially thinking like, oh, my cycles are just long and that's how my cycles are and I don't have to have a 28 day cycle and this is totally great. So I actually took it a little too far because I didn't realize that there were normal parameters and my cycles were outside of those. And it really wasn't until one of my, like my charting instructor looked at my chart um, at one of those monthly meetings I was telling you about on my campus and she was like Lisa your cycles are too long and your temperatures are too low you need to go get yourself checked for thyroid and I was like what because it really just threw me. I was like, how could someone look at my chart and identify a health problem? And I did have hypothyroid. And it was identified at like a super subclinical stage just because it was really showing up in these subtle ways on my chart. Yeah. And so I often wonder, it's what you said, like what, how the trajectory of your life may have been different. Like For me, it's like, well, what would have happened if I didn't have that identified when I was like 22 mm-hmm. back then? crazy
0: that's that's incredible and it's amazing and I think that kind of leads back to this whole concept of the period as our fifth vital sign because it was that sign more than anything else that helped you like early on get control over your health and make huge shifts to like you said change the trajectory which is so awesome and so now you're a mom of how many two two age three and six okay
1: both boys (laughs) my house is very loud
0: and full (laughs) of lego (laughs) Lego everywhere. Oh my God. Some of our best friends have now three boys and same thing. We go over and my kid from a very early age, it was fine with Legos. I wasn't really worried about her putting them in her mouth because she was so used to being over there and just Legos everywhere that she understood like these are not for eating. (laughs) Benefits. Benefits of all the Lego. yes. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. And your, your fertility journey to have them, um, having so much empowerment in regards
1: to your cycle. How was that journey for you? Well, there were parts about it that were surprising. So, I mean, I, by the time I had started, like, you know, got married, and then my uh, husband, and I decided to start trying. I had been charting my cycles for something like 10 years, I'm trying to think, like 12. So you know, like, it had been a long time. And so all of that time that I had been charting, I was actively using fertility awareness to avoid pregnancy successfully. So I never had any like, oopsies or anything like that. Fortunately, it happens though. And it's not, I just, you know, it's not to say that it, it, you know, never, um, it just depends on the woman and how she's using the method. But in my case, uh, it it was always very successful to me. So as you can imagine, for all those years, avoiding sex, um, avoiding unprotected sex in my fertile window, I really, I was like, okay, well, you just have sex on the days and then you get pregnant. So when I um, started trying for my eldest son, it actually took me four months to get pregnant, which was really weird, right? (laughs) Right. I was like, what the heck? It really took me by surprise. So, you know, like the first month we had the sex on the days, I've got all the mucus and nothing. And then the second month, so it kind of threw me off. Like I wasn't, I didn't get to the point where I was nervous, but it definitely surprised me. And then we did get pregnant in the fourth cycle. And then I had a miscarriage immediately after and then I actually conceived the, it, it was a very early miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those, so what happened was, um, you know, I'm charting, and then I have my 18 high temperatures, mm-hmm. and then I, you know, um, peed on the stick to confirm, and then I actually had uh, a miscarriage, like, basically a week. So if if you were to say my period would have been a week late, that's when I would have, that's when I had my miscarriage. Okay. So for some women, they may not even have noticed, right? right? If you're not charting, I always wonder, right. would you Noticed. Um, I mean, the the period that I experienced was the most painful one I've ever had in my life. So I think that that might have yeah. like super like even I was like, how is this even possible? It's only like one week. But um, but anyways, so that was my experience with uh, my first uh, pregnancy. And again, it was really surprising. And that actually falls in line with the average. So your average healthy couple has about a twenty five percent chance of conceiving each cycle. And so I feel like I was exactly on the average. Right, mm-hmm. one out of four. spot on (laughs) um and then with my second uh child so with my youngest son we conceived the first time we tried so um so you know how sometimes well if a woman's charting her cycles she might get to the point where she wonders like is it that i'm just so good at charting or is it that we can't get pregnant right Right. so sometimes kind of but for in my in our case it's like no 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 it's yeah
0: yeah that's incredible and we got a lot of questions about um, second and and multiple pregnancies after, you know, in that postpartum period. And so I'm looking forward to diving into that, especially since you've been there. <laughs> and how far apart are your boys? They are uh, just under three years. Okay. That's kind of our thought is maybe going about that gap. Um, so that's good to know. <laughs> I'm so excited for the rest of this because I mean, all of it, but I, a lot of it is selfishly. I'm so intrigued by this concept <laughs> cause I'm I'm in it right now, you know? So um, let's dive in a little bit more. So what does a normal healthy menstrual cycle look like? I feel like we've talked a lot about it, but I think that's kind of one of the most important things just to get um, out and to for as our listeners are listening to better understand. So that the rest of this conversation maybe will make a little bit more sense.
1: Yes, no, it's that's a really important question. Um, because when we think about our menstrual cycle, typically the only thing that we are made aware about, like the only thing that is really discussed, is the period and then the total length. And so just to kind of put that out there, there is a range. So I'll go through all the different parameters, but I think it's helpful to recognize that your cycle does not have to be 20 days to be normal. Um, and at the average cycle is about 29 days. And uh, the, the healthy range, so you know, of the actual length, and that is the length of the first day of your period. So day one of your period to the day before the next one um, would be anywhere from 24 to 35 days. So there's a lot of women out there who, for instance, might have like a 31 or 32 day cycle and think that that's a a big problem, but it's healthy to know, or it's, it's helpful to know that there's a a range Yeah, and (laughs) healthy, yes, (laughs) helpful and healthy to know that there is a a range. And I think for a lot of women, it's like, oh, I always thought my cycles were irregular because sometimes I would have like a 27 day and then I would have like a 32 day. And that's actually, we would still consider that to be within the normal range.
0: And it's even normal to have um, like two consecutive cycles that are different lengths. That's still causing. Okay. As long as they're in that range, then that's still, that's still considered like a regular period.
1: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, and so one of the things that, I mean, I talk about a lot and I talk about in the book as well, is that the, the, the birth control pill, Mm -hmm. you know, has really shaped the way that we look at our menstrual cycle. And it has made us think that the only, you know, healthy, normal expression of the cycle is 28 days. But the thing is that we're not robots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The one thing that women have in common, all of us, is menstrual cycle variation. And so there's a, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of research that has been done about the menstrual cycle. And so there's one study that was done. It was done a long time ago. It was done in the 19... 40s, um, between the 1940s and 50s. But what's interesting, it's really like old. But what's interesting about that is that the pill came out in 1960. So there's Mm. this huge study, they studied thousands of women, like thousands of cycles. Um, And so I think it was actually a quarter million menstrual cycles, and like several 1000 women. But the point that I'm trying to make is that this was just they were looking at the a a woman's menstrual cycle they were surveying these women over the course of their reproductive lives so these were women they have data from menarche to menopause of thousands of women like like like, yeah 25 or 250,000 cycles or whatever and so what's interesting about that as well is that that's pre-pill so these were just women who were cycling (laughs) um with that never had their cycle uh, altered by hormonal birth yeah, control jacked up and, like <laughs> yeah and so what they found is that when you first get your period there's about a five-year period on average where your cycles tend like you're more likely to have cycle variation so for a woman who is just getting her period it's more common then for her cycles to range even up to 45 days like on average wow. so the, the range is different for women in that kind of post-menarch stage and then we have where most of us sit, which is basically between that, you know, after our cycles have grown up um, and developed because there is a maturation phase of our cycles. And then up until about the 10 years before menopause for a woman who's not like just cycling normally, so not on hormonal birth control, her cycles end would be an average of like that 29 days. And it tends to be more robust. There's still a variation within it, but there's, it's a period of more stability if your oh. cycles are healthy. And then there's this 10-year period before menopause where the cycles fluctuate again. So just to give some context to that concept of 28 days, it's really helpful to know that no woman like on earth is going to have a 28-day cycle every time from her first to her last. This, yeah. it's, it's just not a real thing.
0: And then I think about how many young girls before they've reached that maturation are put on hormones or birth control or whatever, like myself. I think I maybe had two cycles and they were super irregular and a little bit painful. And so, boom, 15 years old put on and then until I was 22 <laughs> and
1: that's
0: well, and so then common
1: what, what happens is that I mean and I was thinking about like how do I explain it how do I describe it so I remember when I was a little you know a, a young adult and I started growing breasts right I had these little breast buds and they were awkward and kind of uncomfortable but it took years for those breasts to develop right right and then and then even after I had after I had my children, my breasts again developed. Now they're different again. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, then if you're, it, it makes sense from that perspective that it would take time for your menstrual cycle to develop and become robust. So it does. It takes a bit of time. And if you're put on the pill early, uh, what happens um, is that then when you come off of it, the cycle of maturation process has to kind of continue a little bit. So it wouldn't be uncommon then for some mm. women after they come off of the pill for their cycles to be kind of wonky for a while until they are able to continue that maturation process, everything's able to kind of start functioning normally again.
0: Wow. I mean, that makes so much sense. It seems so simple, but um, I just like, for me, it's a light bulb moment. Like, oh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and there's like a whole host of, like, I would suppose the other kind of, from a health standpoint, the mm-hmm. other issue around um, having girls start on the pill so young is that uh, in order for us to have normal bone development, Um, we require this balance of estrogen and progesterone. So in a healthy menstrual cycle, before ovulation, we're going to make estrogen. And um, as we approach ovulation, we produce estrogen. And our estrogen levels are what trigger ovulation to happen. But then we only produce progesterone in the menstrual cycle after ovulation. So when you ovulate, then your progesterone shoots up really high. And so then in a healthy cycle, average 29 days or so, you have, you know, half the half the cycle you're, you've are you got this est- like uh, higher levels of estrogen and then half the cycle you have these higher levels of progesterone and both estrogen and progesterone play a really crucial role in normal bone development and so um, and as women we don't hit our kind of peak bone mass until um, somewhere in our you know 20s 30s and some research would even suggest like kind of later on so when you put a, a young woman on hormonal birth control, it actually interferes with her normal bone development to some degree. And so that's not something that people really talk about. It's not necessarily something that's widely known. I mean, um, I've interviewed Dr. Jerry Lynn Pryor a number of times, and a lot of her research has kind of gone into that area. So there's, you know, some people are talking about it. Uh, but yeah, like there's other issues as well, because that's it takes us back to that whole concept of the menstrual cycle as a vital sign because mm-hmm. if you don't even know that the menstrual cycle is important outside of your ability to have children and that it does have implications as to things like your bone density, like you wouldn't necessarily think that that's a real thing, but it is. Yeah. And, and I, don't, so- I don't
0: know that doctors are even making that connection because uh, this will be the last time maybe that I talk about my own experience, but I had, you know, I was t- whatever, low, low bone density. I was told that and they told me it was because I was a runner. Never once making any connection to the fact that I've been on birth control for, at that point, six plus years, um, which is, I just find to be fascinating as well.
1: Well, and yeah, I mean, for women who, so for women who are runners, for example, like being Mm -hmm. a runner doesn't mean you're going to have low bone density, but if you are a runner and you lose your period, Mm -hmm. which I did, (laughs) Um, yeah, so if, if that happens, then um, that's that's the case of hypothalamic amenorrhea. It's mm-hmm. well known that that is associated with um, significant decreases in bone density, mm-hmm. actually significant um, bone loss specifically, which, again, shows us, like, when your period goes away, it's t- like, it's a huge flag that mm-hmm. your energy level is exceeding how much you are taking in.
0: Yeah. Well, the beautiful thing is, right, we can kind of reverse some of this and, and through education and learn our bodies and so what other what other like health implications are there or what else can we i guess to spin it in a more positive way (laughs) by embracing our menstrual cycle and using it as a vital sign how what other ways can we improve our health um let's say if someone's listening and has had years of maybe um an irregular cycle or no period or years of contraception or contraceptives or or the like
1: yeah so that's a that's a good question and that's a big question um And so, I mean, the first, if you're charting your cycles or just in general paying attention to your cycles, um, you had asked me about what the normal parameters are, and we kind of went into the length. Um, So, I'll just kind of quickly go through what the period would look like, and then we can go into kind of some of the things that you can do. Perfect. Um, So, you know, at the very start of your cycle, you would expect to have your period and it would last for about three to seven days. Um, And then you'd expect the period to, you know, be some degree of red in color, um, starting off a bit heavy and then tapering off. So it should have a beginning, middle and an end. (laughs) It shouldn't go on forever. Um, And then after your period, you would expect to have, so so for women who are kind of paying attention to their cervical mucus, uh, cervical mucus can look kind of like um, creamy white hand lotion or like raw egg whites and can have a, a, like a really slippery feel when you're wiping yourself when you go to the bathroom. So you'd expect to have a couple of days that you're not seeing mucus, but then as you approach ovulation, you would expect to actually see cervical mucus. And so you might notice that when you're going to the bathroom, if it feels really slippery or something like that when you're wiping, or you might just actually see um, mucus on your underwear or something like that. Um, and then you would expect to ovulate. So the mucus would come before ovulation and then you would ovulate and the mucus would dry up and then we would expect to have about 12 to 14 days um, between ovulation and your next period. And so once uh, especially for women who are interested in charting and maybe they're you know using an app to track their periods and things like that, you get you start to get a sense of what this looks like. And also if you look into charting, then you get a sense of what it's supposed to look like. So one of the, I mean, it's pretty obvious then if your cycles are falling way outside of that. Like if your cycles are super long, if you're actually actively tracking your cycles and you have a short luteal phase or something like that, if you have really, really painful periods or excessively heavy, um, I think as women, we have a general, we kind of have like a, a sixth sense about these things. Like even if you don't have a lot of data, you still have a sense of like, well, this doesn't look right or this doesn't feel right. Um, So what you can do just in general, I mean, there's a lot of basic kind of health tenets that apply to period health because your cycles are a reflection of your overall health. So some of the kind of before we get into like, do you have a, you know, endocrine disorder or could there be something wrong? Um, Looking at the basic stuff, like what's your diet like, you know, um, what's your sugar consumption like? Are you eating real foods? Are you eating lots of vegetables? Are you um, consuming nutrient dense foods? Like, you know, are you eating enough healthy fats to support normal hormone production? So there's kind of like some of those very basic things. Um, How are you managing stress? So one of the things that becomes really apparent for any woman who pays attention to her cycles is how, uh, how significantly stress can af- affect it, and so, for instance, if you have, if you're, if you haven't ovulated yet, if you experience something really stressful, if you are traveling, if something is going on, uh, it's not uncommon for ovulation to be delayed because your ovaries are actually really intelligent, and if you're under a lot of stress, your body's going to recognize that this isn't a good time <laughs> to introduce a new life into the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then. Um, you know, on the flip side, after ovulation, women might find that if they're really stressed, they start to see um, spotting before their period or, you know, and then in the case of like hypothalamic amenorrhea, if you're really, really stressed or um, something else is happening in your body, um, you know, exercise or diet wise, your periods could go away for an extended period of time. Um, So looking at sources of stress uh, and how to manage that, looking at sleep, One of the most simple and effective things that I can say for women who have concerns about their cycles is, you know, are you sleeping in the dark? You know, are you getting to bed early? And when I say dark, I mean dark, like covering your windows or getting rid of the TV in the room to make sure it's actually dark. Um, Looking at the different products that you use and expose yourself to. So all of the products that are manufactured to women Contain xenoestrogenic chemicals. Like if you think about hand lotion, beauty products, all that kind of stuff, those contain chemicals that uh, mimic estrogen and can have an in- effect on our endocrine system. So, from a most, as you can tell, you know, mm. what I'm talking about here, these are some of the most basic things because it, it's addressing these health factors. But these things that I'm mentioning can have a really significant impact on the cycle. And even another source of kind of xenoestrogens that we may not think of are conventional menstrual products. So, for instance, if a woman has really hard, painful periods, for some women, um, getting rid of the commercial pads and tampons that have lots of bleach and dioxins and all kinds of chemicals in them, for some women, they find that switching over to more natural alternatives can actually improve that, that a bit. Our bodies nice. are so
0: incredible and so sensitive in the most amazing way. Like, it, 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 I, instead of thinking of it as, like, our bodies are crazy sensitive, it's more like we're empowered to make such shifts in our health by making conscious and intentional decisions, which is just, I think, is actually very cool to have that tool. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and as a testament to what everything you're saying, it, I didn't have a period for seven years, and a lot of our listeners know this, um, coming off birth control and being an endurance athlete and everything, and it literally took me moving away out of the Silicon Valley to a small town in Washington with my husband. And really it was in the middle of like winter when the nights were really long and I was letting myself sleep with the, with the uh, light and with the actual like cycles of the moon. And I stopped exercising excessively and would just go and walk to, for walks in nature and was seeing a therapist and getting regular chiropractic care and switched all my beauty stuff to beauty counter. And then lo and behold, my period came back it's just like everything you were saying. I'm like, yep, Yep. Yep. I had to check, do check, every check, single check. one of those things and it worked. So it's wow, amazing. Seven years. That's seven a, years. Oh. Yep. And now I have a, you know, a wonderful baby girl. And, but it's just, you know, it's incredible the power that we have to really make shifts. And it's never, and I think about like, I'm a testament to, it's never too late. So I was on birth control from a very young age. And then even when I went off of it, um, my period did not come back for seven, well, five years at that point. point, two years on the pill with no period. And then five years post period or post period birth control without it. Um, and every Western medicine doctor I went to was like, Oh, your numbers, everything looks good. It should, Hmm. it should be coming any day, but it really took, I think like you mentioned the stress piece, the mental piece, getting outside, um, sleeping more, um, and just like tuning in a little bit more to my body. So there's Mm -hmm. my little testimony to everything you're saying.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, it just, it makes me think about it because I mean, the challenge, the challenge with birth control, I mean, in your case, you had the subtle sign because you mentioned that your, your you know, your pill bleeds stopped coming mm-hmm. um, when you were on the pill, but it's hard because when you're on the pill, uh, it kind of re- like, so if you're charting, then you know, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're not on any type of um, hormonal birth control, then if y- you'll notice a change in your cycles much more readily, like it's much more kind of in your face. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it illustrates in your case how in some ways the birth control masked it. Because if you had come off of it and the period still didn't come back, you probably would have been a little bit more alarmed.
0: Yeah, and I was, I was still like, even having been oh. on the pill for so long, I was still a little bit unnerved when it went away. And so I went to the, my OB and she was like, oh, you're on the Western. That's normal. It's normal for <laughs> your period to go away. No concerns. And I was like, okay, <laughs> well, sweet, you know. And I look yeah. back and it, it makes me so mad. Um, I, I wouldn't change what I went through because it's brought me to where I am now. But also at the same time, it's like, man, that is, that is a huge disservice to, to women um, to, to tell a young woman that it's normal for her period to go away. Now I think about it and it makes my, my blood (laughs) boil a little bit. So that's why we need women like you (laughs) (laughs) fighting the good fight. Yes. (laughs) So what are the most common things that can disrupt the menstrual cycle then? I mean, I guess in in a way you just kind of answered all of that by saying what we should be doing, but, um, are there, so, you know, you mentioned stress, but I guess, I don't know, stress, um, skincare products, not sleeping, is there anything else that you can think of, like health, I guess, health conditions? So we did get some questions about PCOS and um, that kind of thing. So how did
1: those play into it? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I feel like, yeah, to, to kind of a good place to start <clears throat> would be your example. So um, the, in the example of like hypothalamic amenorrhea, where your period goes away completely, um, what the research tells us and what women's experiences tell us is that it's a combination of um, stress, over exercise and under nutrition—it's like a combo. So for some women, just the stress alone is enough to suppress their cycle. Um, but for many women, that—and that, I mean—that's more obvious example when your period completely goes away. <clears throat> and what's happening in that situation is that um, the the communication that naturally happens between your hypothalamus, <laughs> pituitary gland, and ov- like ovaries—that is being disrupted. Um, and so that's something just to think about because uh, it's interesting how you mentioned your doctor's response to that was if you're tracking your cycles, for example, and you start an exercise routine and you notice a change in your cycles, you notice your um, the like your post-ovulatory phase is shorter, or you notice that you start having some spotting where you didn't have that before, or you notice that your periods go away entirely, um, those are all like key signs. Like you're if you're really paying attention to your cycles, you'll get the signs early. Um, the period going away is like kind of like not the first sign, (laughs) if that makes sense.
0: Oh, yeah, totally.
1: Um, So in addition to those factors, um, so in the case of polycystic ovary syndrome, um, you know, the vast majority of women with polycystic ovary syndrome have issues with their body's ability to process sugar. And um, women who consume the highest degree of like high glycemic Carbohydrates. Um, there was a study that found that, you know, the women who consumed the highest amount of basically sugary, highly processed stuff, were more likely to experience ovulatory disruptions. Uh, so it's really interesting, but, you know, diet can play a huge part in it. Um, but it's also with PCOS, you, have, you, you more than likely have women who are then just, for whatever reason, more sensitive to the effects of, of sugar. Because we all know that some women can, you know, eat the things and other women can't. And so um, I think that that's something to really pay attention to. So the kind of typical way that PCOS shows up in the menstrual cycle would be that um, women with PCOS tend to have delayed ovulation. So it's different to hypothalamic amenorrhea because the period doesn't go away completely necessarily. So instead, you have a woman with really long cycles. So maybe sometimes her cycles are 29 days, but sometimes they're 52 days. Or sometimes she has like, you know, six, four to six periods a year or something like that. Um, and then it's not uncommon if a woman is trying to track her cycles, like for instance, if she's trying to conceive and she's looking for her mucus, that she might have mucus, but no ovulation and then mucus again and no ovulation and finally she'll ovulate. So it's kind of like her body's attempting to ovulate mm. um, a couple of times in the cycle. Uh, so, I mean, that's PCOS is one of the most kind of, it's one of the most common um, reasons for ovulatory infertility. So issues with regards to ovulation. Um But yeah, that's one of the issues that can really have an effect on the menstrual cycle. Thyroid disorders can have an impact on the thyroid disorder. I mean, in my own story, it had an effect on the length of my cycle. Um, So thyroid disorders can – thyroid disorders are also a really common cause of menstrual cycle disruptions um, because your thyroid controls your – it's a big part of your endocrine system, your metabolism – Um, If your thyroid is off, then your other hormones are going to be off as well. And so there's different ways that that could show up in the menstrual cycle. So some women might experience, again, longer cycles. Some women might experience um, signs of low hormones, maybe like lower mucus production or short luteal phase or something like that. Um, And for women with hypothyroid, often it's the low temps on the chart that are one of the first indications. Um, And then in addition... if a, if you for women who have gut issues, so women who have like IBS or you know gut infections like small intestinal bacterial bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. Um, what's really what I've seen when I'm working with women is that for for some of my clients who have issues with uh, gut health, for instance, let's say that they um, have some IBS symptoms, meaning like. A, like whether it's, you know, constipation or diarrhea or just some degree of stomach upset when they eat certain foods, if they identify that they have a sensitivity to a certain food, when they consume that food, they may have um, like just signs like I've had some of my clients have mucus all the time. So you're supposed to have mucus for a couple of days before ovulation, but they might have it for weeks. Um, and their ovulation may be delayed. And again, like if you think about it, if you have a gut issue, um, you're consuming foods that you're sensitive to that's associated with inflammation and that can have an effect on ovulation. Uh, So it's interesting because basically, if you think about your cycle as a reflection of your overall health, if something is happening with your overall health, if you have a chronic infection, if you have a gut issue, if you've got some sort of endocrine disorder, or, um, you know, like in the case of PCOS, if you're uh, like, if you have insulin resistance and you're, you know, glucose intolerance or whatever the case is, there's different ways that this can show up in your charts. And so for women who are charting, um, it can be the early warning sign for them. The challenge is that not all health practitioners are even aware (laughs) of these connections. So it's like, how do you find somebody that's able to kind of help you to review and interpret your charts?
0: Yes. I had to go to an naturopathic doctor to do that because, like I mentioned, Western medicine docs on my OBs and, and everyone were saying, yeah, everything's fine. And I, I wanted to <laughs> shake them and be like, I don't have a period. Everything is not fine. Because <laughs> at that point, I understood, you know, um, after years of being told, you're fine, you're fine. I was like, cool, I'm fine. And then I was like, this is not normal. Something deep inside me, even before I got into this health and wellness world was like, this isn't normal to not have a period. It's not. So anyways, Um, we got a lot of questions about contraceptives. So, um, now that we've talked about some of the, you know, the health concerns that can lead to no period or irregular periods, um, and we've talked a little bit about what we can do to support our bodies and our health, but then let's talk, let's dive a little bit more now into contraceptives specifically, because I know we have a number of listeners who wrote in saying that, you know, they came off the pill and kind of like me, um, this One one listener said that she's looking for tips on getting a period back when it's been missing going on eight years. Um, she said this is specifically after um, losing it while she was on birth control. So I guess to start, before we dive into that specific question, what are the most common side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives? Um, clearly, losing a period is one because now we have two specific situations where that's been the case. But what are some other effects? And then what can we do post-birth control? To really boost our health and wellness overall, and get our cycle to return to um, normalcy and to build back our fertility.
1: Yes, that's those are both very excellent questions. Um, maybe I'll start with the like I'll, I'll address the the kind of post-pill amenorrhea question. Um, so I mean, it's it's really tempting to think that the pill causes post-pill amenorrhea, post-pill amenorrhea being like when you come off the pill and your period doesn't come back. Um, but the research doesn't, so, you know, and I would have loved to get on that train too. Um, but when I was looking at the research, uh, what I found, it's still disconcerting, but what I found is that um, even research dating back like a long time ago, when um, there was one study that I looked at, it was, you know, quite an old study, and then there was another more recent study. But um Basically, like if you had issues, so a lot of women are put on the pill specifically because they have irregular cycles. Um, you know, like, so you have this issue with your cycle. I mean, if your cycles are really irregular, if they're not coming frequently, if you ha- go three months without a period and that's why you were put on birth control, you're more likely then to experience an issue when you come off of it. And the reason for that, it makes sense if you think about it. If your cycle is a menstrual, or if your menstrual cycle is a vital sign, and then you have a menstrual cycle that is not normal, so it's falling outside of the normal parameters, then that is an indication of an underlying issue, right? And if you go on the pill, and then you just get a regular bleed all the time, um, then it's really covering up whatever's going on underneath. So uh, it wouldn't be the pill that would necessarily be causing that problem, but the problem was there all along, and the pill was masking it. So if you had just not been on the pill, then you would have had to kind of deal with the problem and try to figure out what was going on. But the pill gives you usually that, you know, bleed every 28 days. So you kind of have this idea that everything's fine. Um, So if that makes sense, it's kind of like a maybe it's just like a different way of speaking about it. But um, the evidence doesn't really support the idea that the pill causes it because a lot of women come off the pill and they have their periods return and you know what I'm saying like it's not every woman that comes off the pill and doesn't have a period most women do get a period after they come off it might take you know a couple weeks or months but most women actually do get their periods back but really really good point (laughs) yeah but in your case so in the midst of you taking the pill you Mm -hmm. developed an issue in the middle in the midst of it Mm -hmm. so in the midst of it you kind of upped your exercise game Yep, I went vegetarian (laughs) Okay. Yeah, and then you um, <laughs> made some dietary changes that could yeah. have affected your hormone production, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably compounding because I went on it in the first place when I was fifteen
0: because of irregularities and heavy bleeds and et cetera, et cetera. So um.
1: which arguably are fairly, if you think about it from, you know, the context of like the first five years being a little bit irregular while Mm -hmm. your body's normalizing, like, again, the medical system looks at this natural process a little bit differently (laughs) than like, you know, the research would support us. So like there's a lot of kind of evidence and also women's stories Mm -hmm. uh, that would support this idea that a little bit of irregularity is normal in those first couple of years. And even the heavy bleedings. So women are more likely to experience heavier bleeding in, during the um, kind of post-menarch mm. phase and also the pre-menopause phase, because right. those are two phases where we are, we're more likely to have higher levels of estrogen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's, it's so just to kind of put it out there, like a lot of women are being treated for normal stuff, basically, right? right? So, yeah.
0: <laughs> so then would you say that hormonal contraceptives don't necessarily impact fertility?
1: Oh, it's I wouldn't more... I wouldn't go that far, okay. but I would say, I just wanted to kind of clarify that point because I feel like it's really easy to be like, the pill causes post-pill amen- amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's like more complex than that. The pill masks the real problem. So you don't ever get to see how bad it is. Okay. <laughs> um, in terms of, so in terms of um, like how the pill would impact fertility, um, what the research shows is that hormonal birth control, uh, it, it causes a temporary delay In the return of your normal fertility. And it's really interesting because, I mean, the way that it, it, like, the way that these researchers and like the way that doctors talk about it it because it's a reversible quote unquote contraception. So you take it and it suppresses your fertility, right? It shuts down your uh, regular communication between your HPO axis. Like it does all this stuff to prevent you from getting pregnant, but eventually your fertility does rebound. The problem is that it can take anywhere from six to 18 months or more, depending on the type of contraception that you use for your body to fully normalize. And so the the piece of information that women are not being given about the, the pill and how it relates to the fertility is that they're not being told that there is a, a specific transition phase that you have to, like your body will go through, like whether you are aware of it or not, or, you know, your body has to go through a specific transition phase. It does when you come off of um, birth control and it, it it does suppress your fertility for a period of time. so. Um, For example, there's a couple of things I found that were really alarming. (laughs) Um, And I talk about this in the book, but um, so, I mean, what the research shows, there's a a research study where they actually looked at, um, like, what the cycle parameters were like. And so, basically, for women uh, coming off of the pill, it typically takes anywhere from nine to 12 cycles before all of the cycle parameters normalize, like before the length of the cycle is normal, before ovulation is happening, um, kind of mid cycle, like, you know, where we would expect it to happen in order for you to have a cycle that falls somewhere between 24 to 35 days. And also for the luteal phase, like the second half of the cycle to be full length. So when you come off of the pill, you're more likely to have long cycles, delayed ovulation and a short luteal phase, Um, which makes it, you know, it, it just kind of It changes whether or not you can conceive. Um, It's also, depending on the type of hormonal birth control you use, it can take longer for you to get pregnant. So there's studies that show like for a woman like me, I wasn't on the pill, an average of four cycles. There was one study where women who were not on hormonal birth control, so using condoms and stuff like that, on average, it would take about four months to conceive when they started trying. Women who were taking the pill for, you know, long term, which they defined as two years or more, it took an average of eight months. So it took twice as long for these women to come to get pregnant after coming off the pill. And then like if they were getting other types of using other types of birth control, like the shot, it took an average of like 18 months. Um, the shot is its own. It's it's in its own category though. (laughs) It's a special, it's a special type of birth control, but that's something that like, so this is what, this is why I think it's important. So you just imagine a woman, she's in her thirties, you know, she's been waiting her whole life to find everything to align, right? Mm -hmm. We got to get the career, we got to get the the partner, we got to get the, you know, all the things have to line up. They're finally lined up. You know, she goes to her doctor. She says, hey, you know, my husband and I, we're getting married in the spring or whatever. Like, should I go off birth control? You know, I'm I'm wondering because we're going to want to start trying right away. Doctor says no. You know, that's a really common thing, right? Oh, no, you'll get pregnant right away, blah, blah, blah. And then no one at any point tells her that it could take anywhere from 6 to 18 months for her fertility to return normally. Now, we all know that some women go off the pill and get pregnant right away, but not every woman does. And if it takes like, for example, 12 months, like you trying to get pregnant for 12 months after the pill and you haven't yet, you're more like than likely to be in the fertility clinic already getting treatments done. And no one even told you that you may still, your body may still just be normalizing post pill.
0: Yep. Just it's. I think one of the issues with our society is that there's a lot of instant gratification that people want and they want things to happen quickly because we're just in a fast pace. World, And so it's like, okay, I'm off the pill at the time's right, let's do it. And then not realizing that there's a just like there's a maturation period for your period, that um, there's also going to be time to, to like re normalize after birth control. I think that's a really important reminder, because I know that that's how I felt. I was like, okay, I'm ready to have a baby. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, it yeah. takes time.
1: Um, well, and it's all about just that informed consent piece. So, mm-hmm. you know, I talk oh, about the pill yes. a lot. We didn't even get into like a lot of the other side effects. So, but m- but my whole thing isn't like no woman should ever use a pill or anything like right. that. But I feel like we all have the right to know how it affects us. Because, you know, if all women knew that there is this transition period that comes off of um, like a transition period when you come off of the pill mm-hmm. and you will there like it's a documented period of temporary. Um, suppressed fertility, like it's a real thing. One of the most jarring things that I found when I was uh, researching was that when you come off the pill, long-term use, uh, the pill actually shrinks your ovaries and reduces your ovarian reserve parameters. Wow. Um, Shrinks ovarian volume by over 50%, like like I didn't make that up. <laughs> and so um, there was this um, there was this interesting study and it was like women who um, are undergoing fertility preservation. So you got to look where the money is to find the research, <laughs> right? And the money's there. So that's where I found the research. But so women are coming off of the pill to get their eggs, like to, to get their eggs frozen. And so what the researchers found was that if the woman came right off the pill and did the, try to do the procedure, she couldn't get as many eggs. So they told her then, like they did a study where they had them wait like for, you know, two months, three months, six months, 12 months or whatever, to see if that made a difference. And so after the six to seven month mark, then they got more eggs. And they measured their ovarian reserve parameters, they measured ovarian volume and found that when women first come off the pill, their ovaries have shrunk. And their ovarian reserve parameters, so like AMH levels, antral follicle count, all the things that women get measured when they're trying to have babies, and the doctors are like basing their ability to conceive on these results, right? Um, Those Uh, results are lower immediately post pill and within a period of six to seven months they actually bounce back and rebound and normalize so the the researchers were like okay well if a woman wants to freeze her eggs she should wait about six to seven months post pill to get the best harvest Hmm. well doesn't that apply to a woman who's trying to conceive naturally isn't this the specific scientific results that show us that the pill and or other hormonal birth control temporarily suppress our natural fertility. And we need a period of time to transition and rebound. Right. hundred <laughs> percent. Isn't that just infuriating? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's
0: super maddening. <laughs> it makes me a little bit crazy, but also, you know, I, I, I just are the biggest, like the reason we even have this podcast is to hopefully empower women with information. Um, and so thank you for coming on and sharing this because it's just like, we aren't being told so many things by, um, the practitioners that should be providing this information and not just writing prescriptions or you know it's it's a little bit uh <laughs> infuriating but all we can do is continue to spread the word and offer plat- this platform and like with yours as well to to help people and uh, women become empowered with information that they're not getting from the people that they probably should be <laughs> getting it from
1: Well, and I I mean, I talk a lot about the science stuff and whatever, um, because I think it's really important and helpful to kind of ground the discussion and what information we have available to Mm -hmm. us. But the thing about science like that I discovered when I was doing the research is that, I mean, there's the actual data and then there's how you interpret the data. So you can have this information and have it interpreted in completely different ways. Mm. So for me, as a woman who understands what it's like to be a woman and want to get pregnant, the information in those studies, I'm going to interpret that differently, meaning that I'm going to say it's a big deal if there's a six month delay in the return of my fertility. Because that can really change the trajectory of my life if I don't know about that. Mm -hmm right? Like that could lead me to get IVF when I didn't need it. Right. And spend
0: so much money and put your body through some pretty intense hormonal shifts. And yes, <laughs> oh, I have friends who've done it and it is not easy. And I can only imagine, you know, when maybe if we, we, we can just be a little bit more, you know, prepared mentally, emotionally, physically for this journey be, but, and, and not have it masked by the people that should be ex- like explaining it to us. Um, it's pretty frustrating, but that's why you're here. <laughs> what about other types of contraceptives? Like IUD? Is it all pretty similar? Um, Like copper IUD, that kind of, all anything. Is copper IUD hormonal or no?
1: No, copper oh, IUD okay.
0: is not hormonal. I have no experience yeah. with um any IUD at this point. I'll never go on birth control again. <laughs>
1: well Um, I think there's I mean there's a lot to say in in my book I I did receive some constructive you know criticism about the fact that I do talk about them collectively right but it is important to note like so and i what I mean is uh any type of birth control that is releasing hormones I talk about them collectively but there are differences between them so for instance like the pill the patch the ring um I think those are the main ones to are are comprised of uh Um, A combination of synthetic estrogen and synthetic progestins. And so they have a different effect uh, in a lot of ways versus hormonal birth control that's progestin only, for example. And so one of the main differences is that, say, so the the combined contraceptives, they work through a combination of um, suppressing ovulation um, and then also preventing the uterine lining from fully developing and um, causing your cervix to fill with a thick mucus plug that prevents the sperm from getting in. So there's like a three-part kind of attack. (laughs) So, you know, thin lining, thin uterine lining, so things can implant, we've got the sperm blockage, and then we've got like, you're not ovulating. Um, So with progestin only, for for example, like the IUDs that have progesterone, or not progesterone, progestin, because it's not the same as your progesterone, What's interesting about how they're marketed is that you're told that it's a low dose and you're told that it's like localized. So it's as if like you put this thing in your uterus and then the hormones just stay there. Like, as if you don't have a circulatory system, <laughs> and it's not going to, like, anyway, so I, I always find that interesting. I'm like, you yeah. have a circulatory system. Like, if there's hormones being released in your uterus, you have blood vessels, and it's going to go mm-hmm. everywhere, but whatever. Yep. Um. So so in the case of, for example, the progestin, like the progesterone-only pill or the progestin, progestin-releasing IUD, sometimes you do ovulate. So a percentage of women will ovulate on it. Um so the, the kind of myth is that like I get to use this IUD and I get to keep ovulating and I get to have my normal period. So what the research tells us is that even if you do ovulate, some women will like ovulate kind of on a regular basis, but their cycles are not necessarily completely normal like it still has some sort of it still disrupts the endocrine system to some degree and you're not getting the same degree of your natural estrogen and progesterone so it does disrupt the cycle to some degree other women may ovulate sporadically or they may ovulate for a while and then stop ovulating and then some women won't ovulate on it. So I think that's helpful. And you may wonder, well, how could it work (laughs) if you're still ovulating? But um, one of the main modes of action of the progestin-releasing IUD is that it keeps the endometrial lining really, really thin. So even if you ovulate and by some miracle, you know, um, conception or um, yeah, like uh, fertilization is the word I'm looking for, Mm -hmm. but if a sperm meets egg by some miraculous uh, event, that doesn't have anywhere to implant. So for some women, that's like a, you know, not all women are comfortable with that, right? But so it's just, it's helpful to know how these things work. Um, And then, I mean, with some of the progestin only, like the shot and the implant, I mean, those are associated with a lot of different side effects. I think most predominantly the bone loss thing, which is pretty apparent on um, the shot and the progestin only. So it's I Although they are different, I think it's really important to recognize that whenever you're using hormonal birth control, um, a type of method, I mean, you are introducing synthetic hormones that are not the same as yours into your body. Mm -hmm. Um, Some women do better on some than others. I had a woman on um, my podcast who she was on the pill and she got really, really bad headaches, which is a really bad sign. (laughs) If you're on the pill and you get really bad headaches, that's a bad sign. Um, And so in her case, she actually switched to the um, progestin releasing IUD because it was you know the synthetic estrogen that really she was just not she's just way too sensitive to that that's an increased risk factor for thrombosis and stroke uh, in her case so it, it, it you know she changed the type and then she didn't have the headaches anymore so there's lots of different reasons and there's lots of different actions and all of that so hopefully that's helpful at least to give a bit of context in terms of the different types
0: Perfect. Thank you. And I want to, um, make sure that we get a little bit into this next question because we got a lot, sorry, there's dogs in the background. Um, that's my life right now. Anyways. So we got a lot of questions about getting a period back and getting fertility back postpartum. So I want to make sure we at least touch on it. And I do feel like maybe we could have you back on to do an entire episode on just postpartum fertility and preparing the body and fertility and cycle and everything for baby number two. But, um, Is there a general norm or rule as to how long it usually takes to get a period back postpartum?
1: That's a really good question. Um, So how soon your period comes back postpartum is really connected to um, like whether or not you're breastfeeding and how that's all going. And there's also some individual differences in there. So for a woman who is not breastfeeding, maybe she's not able to or chooses not to, whatever is going on there, um, her period can come back quite quickly. <laughs> uh, so when there's no breastfeeding involved, your period could come back within a month or two. So just to kind of put that out there um, for women who are breastfeeding. Um, so there's something called ecological breastfeeding where you would kind of breastfeed on demand. You're just like a walking. And one of my friends called it like a, mo- she, she called herself a mobile milk unit, which I thought was kind of um, really funny. But so. um, <laughs> when you're, uh, when you're on, when you're breastfeeding on demand and you've got lots of skin to skin contact and you're um, like kind of at those early stages where your baby is kind of on you know, her own sleep schedule. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so the longer that you do that, the more skin to skin, the more frequently you're breastfeeding, kind of the more milk uh, your baby's getting from you, then that can really suppress ovulation for a longer period of time. So in terms of exactly how long, there is a range. Some mm-hmm. women um, get their periods back, you know, after a period of three or four months, some women five or six, and others eight or nine Um maybe even 12 months. And again, it depends. So there's some individual differences there. There's the breastfeeding, like the more and longer that you breastfeed, more likely it it could be longer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the four to six month mark, well, maybe your baby's sleeping through the night, you know, maybe not, Mm. (laughs) but maybe your baby starts sleeping in longer stretches and, um, also around you typically around the six month mark is when you start introducing solid foods, many women have to go back to work, you know, at the three month mark or a six month or 12 month or, you know, whatever the case is. So all of these different factors, anything that is going to then reduce the amount of milk that your baby is kind of suckling from you, anything that's, you know, longer stretches of sleep, those can cause the cycle to come back. So for some women, they might find like, oh, it was kind of around the time that I introduced solid foods or oh, it was kind of around the time that my baby stopped, uh, Waking up 16
0: times. I love it. Yeah, I'm almost, I'll be 18 months postpartum Thursday, so in two days. And um, I still don't have a period. Though I've felt my, I've been pretty in tune with my body and I think I felt some some sort of semblance of cycling. Um, But I night weaned like six, eight weeks ago. And so I'm, I'm thinking that might assist, but you know, I, I work from home. I'm very available to her. I make sure she understands that it's my body that I'm sharing with her, but, um, it's still, I think that's probably a big reason why mine hasn't returned. And we had some listeners write in saying it's been even like 30 months, um, and still no period. So
1: I, so I, I should put out there that, um, so that, that falls outside of what we, cause then by then it's no longer the breastfeeding. So uh, we have something else going on there. What is the cutoff there? 12 months. Um, I don't know that there's like a rule set in stone, but I would say 12 to 12 to 14 months, Mm -hmm. if there's no signs and like you, you haven't even had like a random period that wasn't followed by another one. Um, so for example, you know, women during pregnancy and postpartum, that's, um, that's uh, one of the times where, like, uh, so how, let, let me try to rephrase this and say it in a way that makes sense. Um, thyroid disorders are really common in pregnant women and also postpartum. And uh, just, as, just to put it out there, I'm not saying that's the cause, but I'm saying that um, it could be something else. And so if, if it's in 30 months and no period, that's, not, that's no longer because of postpartum baby. That's something else.
0: Right. Even even um, with frequent nursing, I guess at 30 months, it can't be. I'd say my kid is probably still minimum 50-50, maybe more like 75-25 food, uh, n- milk to food. Um, but I know by 30 months, I imagine there's a lot more solid yeah. food coming in.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, I would say the because ch- by the time your, your baby reaches, um, you know, like 18 months and two years, they're eating a lot more food, right? Like they're, even though, even when they're still like, they they may still be getting a lot of milk from you, but they're not necessarily um, getting the, the, you know, like, a, their calories, a, yeah. yeah, it's not like when you've got like a three month old and you're, you're literally their source. Of- <laughs> and just- even when they're not nursing, you're still
0: leaking everywhere. <laughs>
1: Yes. So I would say, like around, I wouldn't, I wouldn't panic around the 12 month mark. But between that kind of 12 and 15 month mark, Mm -hmm. I would say that it's if you haven't just, you know, if you haven't just been checked. So you know, your doctor is checking your levels, your iron levels, your B12, all that kind of stuff. uh, Pregnancy is really difficult on on the body. I mean, you're making a human being. So um, there's no situation where you're going to go into pregnancy and come out like, you know, fully optimal for all of your levels. Uh, Most of us are not necessarily fully nutrient replete when we get pregnant. And so um, there was one study where only 20% of women that they surveyed uh, had sufficient iron reserves to take them through pregnancy. Uh, And I've, you know, worked with a number of women who like, again, my favorite word, which is everything's fine, right? (laughs) Everyone's being told that they're fine. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I've looked at a lot of labs and it's like a lot of women are having like these super low iron levels. And because the iron range is so big, the doctors are like, yeah, you're fine. And I'm like, "Ah." oh, so it's a good idea just to like postpartum. Like, so pregnancy, you're building a human, but then postpartum, you're feeding the human the baby is sucking the the nutrients and everything right out of your body for exactly. months sometimes years so um like i would say that yeah it's time to go to the doctor and have that checked mm-hmm. if you are fully 18 months postpartum and no period um have them make sure to screen you for thyroid have them check all of your nutrients just make sure and then if the, if you're fine and you're still your period <laughs> still is coming back then it's time to check in with a functional practitioner and just look at like how are your adrenals like are you sleeping like what's going on because mm-hmm. really a period should become back by
0: then. Yeah, I actually just partnered up with a company called Let's Get Checked. And I got I pricked a bunch of blood out of my finger yesterday and sent my sent it away. And they do like a full female hormone test. So I'm excited to get that back and to share that with our listeners. Um, because it is it is a way to kind of empower yourself if let's say, you don't have insurance, or you can't find a whatever, like they, they'll send you it back with like a breakdown. And they do like follicle stimulating hormone and, and luteinizing hormone and prolactin and things that you might not get otherwise. But Um, I'm looking for, and then I also went and saw my naturopath yesterday, uh, just because I I am like 18 months and I'm ready to, I feel really great, but I'm also ready to be empowered with information. Um, as we start to talk about number two and getting my cycle back and I want to make sure that I'm fully restored before I do this to my body again. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that you, you say that because I think it's important that we, um, there's dogs out there again, (laughs) that we go into pregnancy empowered and, and, um, you know, it takes self care. And at this day and age, it takes a lot of extra effort, honestly, to get a full picture of health, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and one thing we were talking, uh, we've been talking about kind of these transition periods, right? Like, so we talked about the um, after menarche, after your first period, having this transition. And before menopause, there's a transition. And then also post-pill, there's a transition. So post-baby, uh, typically when your cycle first comes back, so you get your first period, finally it's coming back. Um, typically that first period, there's, um, you know, like it, it often takes a couple of cycles before everything normalizes. Yeah. So, Oh, I'm sorry.
0: That would no. I love it. That's perfect. Okay, Baba. <laughs>
1: okay, mommy just gotta finish her 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 um phone call. Okay, go to go find go ask Grandpa. <laughs> so, cute. so usually usually when I'm on um, interviews and working, my children are in daycare, but Grandma and Grandpa are visiting. So oh my god, I love um, it. <laughs> so my my three year old is here, so he just came to check on me. <laughs> you still good mom you still good okay <laughs> yeah still good. okay um but yeah so in, in terms of the transition post um baby it's not uncommon for those first couple cycles for-
0: hi friends laura here with some exciting news four sigmatic has come on as a modern mama's podcast sponsor we are so excited if you've been following along with my instagram stories especially you've seen that i use this stuff every single morning the lion's mane elixir is my absolute favorite I added to my boosted coffee for an extra boost of brain clarity, productivity, and focus that I genuinely did not experience until I started adding this in every day. They also make other elixirs like reishi for calming, cordyceps for an energy boost, and chaga for an immune boost along with those elixirs they also have really cool blends i love the lion's mane and coffee blend when i travel because i don't have to worry about getting my hands and lips on high quality coffee i have it ready to go all you need is hot water you mix in the blend and you're set. They have caffeine, caffeine-free caffeine options as well, like a chai latte and a turmeric latte for gut health and skin glow and all they have all kinds of incredible blends. I cannot recommend enough that you go check out their website, find whatever mushroom blend is, is going to fit with your lifestyle and give it a try. The awesome folks at Four Sigmatic have offered our listeners you guys are special. You get 15% off any order. If you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Modern Mamas or simply type in Modern Mamas, all lowercase, all one word at checkout, you get 50% off. Check it out, see what fits your life and happy shrooming.
1: ...to have a bit of a shorter luteal phase. Like it's not the same as post pills. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that there's kind of like this natural stage where often there's a couple of cycles that, you know, and then you'll start to see it kind of become more robust and uh, for women who get their periods back earlier, so for example, women who are listening and maybe it's like six months that their periods are coming back, they might find that they're not immediately perfectly regular. For example, if you, because breastfeeding, there's this inverse relationship between how much you breastfeed and your um, how much your periods are going to be suppressed. For example, if your little one was going through one of those, you know, wonder weeks or whatever, um, teething, or um, if your little one is sick or something like that, and all of a sudden you're kind of breastfeeding more throughout the night and you kind of have this increased frequency of breastfeeding, then... Um, then yeah you might find that your cycles are a bit more delayed or you might find that ovulation is a bit delayed so you see there's still a little bit of flux in there as your body kind of normalizes so yeah just to give that i I like to give that context because a lot of women might think oh my goodness like i got my period back and then my next one didn't come for 45 days and then i started to get into a normal pattern and then it was delayed again and if you kind of look at what's happening in your life and think of it that way it can make a lot more sense That's
0: awesome. That's super important information. And so what are some major signs that a postpartum body is ready for a number two then, or is ready to, is, you know, is back to maybe normal fertility and kind of rebuilt stores to try for baby number two?
1: Well, that's a great question. I mean, what, one of the things that I would say is that um, you want to, for any woman who's listening who thought about preconception nutrition and really thought about taking time to, to consume the the types of foods that contain the nutrients that you need to build your baby. And so um, like, that's a whole conversation. There's a lot of that. So I won't like go necessarily go into all that, but um, that same kind of care and thought that you took, if, if you had the opportunity to do so before baby number one or two or whatever number that we are on, um, when you're going into the next pregnancy, like during, after you have your baby, you know, and you're breastfeeding or you're not, but you're in that postpartum phase, that is when you want to start like so you're not even you know thinking about trying yet that's the same idea you want to start thinking about how to eat that way to prepare for baby number two while you're still nourishing baby number one Um, so in terms of the specific signs then from a menstrual cycle standpoint um ideally, and life isn't always ideal, but ideally you would want to go for having three cycles back to back that are normal mm-hmm. um, and that fall within the normal parameters. So you've got a cycle falling between 24 to 35 days, like all the things we spoke about, and a healthy um, post-ovulatory phase length of about, you know, 12 to 14 days. So you want to look at all of the different parameters, three cycles back to back. Like that's a sign that your body's good to go. I love you it. Wanna, Make sure to, like, check all your levels and have certain things checked. Have your iron checked. Have your vitamin D checked. Have your vitamin B12 checked. Like, start with those things. Um, Check your thyroid levels. Make sure everything is good.
0: I'm just furiously taking notes over here <laughs> for show notes and also for myself. <laughs> okay. Awesome. We've already kept you for over an hour. So to wrap, I want to know what, what's like the one major takeaway. Um, if when, when our listeners buy your book and are reading it, what is the one takeaway they should maybe um, ahead of time know that like the one thing that you want them to, to, to bring away from reading your book?
1: Your menstrual cycle matters whether or not you are actively trying to have children. Um, and it, it's really a vital sign. And so, if you watch your menstrual cycle, if you pay attention to it, it can really guide you throughout your life. It's often the first sign of an underlying health issue. And as women, we need that. Like, we need all the information we can get because the medical system was not designed for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we need to take matters into our own
0: hands. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to read it and to get my hands on it and to spread sure. the word um, because, you know, I'm, I'm in the thick of it right now, as I mentioned. And it just it feels, it feels so good to be so excited to get a regular period because um, I see it, as you said, as a vital sign and as such an important and incredible tool that we have as women. It's amazing. It's not something that we're burdened with. It's something that we are blessed with. And so I love that you're helping to spread the word on that. Thank you. This was so much fun. So fun. We'll have to have you back on once the book is released to dive deeper in. Um, But I'm so grateful that you answered all the questions and you're just so wise and insightful. And um, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us.
1: Well, thank you so much. And I wanted to give a special gift to the listeners. Like if this conversation, if you really enjoyed it, like we really scratched the the surface. The book is a bit I went a little bit crazy. Like I had like over a thousand research citations and all these examples because I really wanted to give you something yeah. that you could like bring to the doctor's office. Oh my God, I have goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you want to get you can um, get the uh, the first chapter for free, um so if you just go over to the fifth So that's my gift to you. That's
0: incredible. And we'll link to that in the show notes. um, And we'll link to your website and the book and everything. But also so that in case someone is just listening right now and wants to dive right in, where can um, where can our listeners find you?
1: Um, You can find me. My podcast is Fertility Friday. My main site is fertilityfriday.com. And then of course the book is available online where books are sold. You can buy it on Amazon and um, I'm aiming to have the audiobook version ready. So it may or may not be ready when you listen to this, but it'll be coming soon. (laughs) Can't wait. I get to listen to your voice
0: for hours. (laughs) It's perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for the free chapter for our listeners and for, as I mentioned, providing your wisdom. And we are just so grateful and um, I look forward to a follow up.
1: Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun.
0: So fun. All right. Well, enjoy. Good luck with this release. And uh, I'm just excited to see what happens from here thanks all right talk to you soon thanks guys okay. and oh as per usual you can find me at Laura.radicalroots roots on instagram just at Hold the space you can always email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com and please 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 subscribe rate review we love you and we will talk to you next week bye friends i don't know what to say thanks for listening to our podcast see you next time
1: thanks for listening to our podcast see you next time <laughs>